Listening to the brand new episode of In Love with the Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you guys? What's new? I'm excited about today's episode because, uh, as promised, I am sort of opening up the content for In Love with the Process, sort of blowing it open a bit more. Uh, you've heard me talking about barbecue a lot. I told you guys that I'm going to be doing episodes on the stuff that I love, that I am obsessed with, interviewing folks that I'm interested in. Um, in today's episode is no exception to that rule. Uh, as many of you know, I have recently fallen back in love with collecting music. I'm very excited about my vinyl collection. I'm very excited about the albums that both Gina and I are finding. Uh, and I have to give a big shout out to Gina again for actually restoring my curiosity and my love for music by buying me a record player this year. Now, prior to that, I couldn't really bring myself to buying an album, a record player, because I was like, is that too hipster? Am I becoming like a hipster dude that just wants to go out and buy albums? And why buy why buy physical media? It's just gonna take up space. It doesn't, like, I, I can listen to anything I want on Spotify, right? And I can just have Spotify do all the work for me. So why, why would I do this? And you know what? This episode's gonna get into that. We're gonna dig deep into the power of physical media, and more importantly, we're going to dig deep into the power of curated content, right? Curated by human beings. And what is the byproduct of that? There's a big difference. I think there's a a valid reason why I kind of fell off the music train for quite some time. I think prior to, you know, four or five years ago, I would have I would say 20 albums 30 albums that I listened to all year that I loved and then there was this period of time where I was literally just listening to like three or four albums and I was just really depressed by it how could I find new music and I was hunting through online reading like pitchfork articles and I don't know if you guys agree with me or not but pitchfork is so fucking pretentious so half the time they're just going on and on about the pretentious shit they're like I don't even care anymore I don't I want, a, I want a personal connection to this album. Why is this album so great to you? And I was starting to feel a little nostalgic. And, you know, maybe that's what this show's about. Maybe it's nostalgia. Maybe it's me battling nostalgia. Maybe it's me going, yeah, I miss the days when I could go into a shop and be surprised by what I find as I flip through albums and, and find something interesting. And then I was like, well, why is that so much better than looking for stuff on Spotify? And the more I thought about it, the more it became less about the physical media, the more it became less about an actual vinyl, and it became more about the people that I met, the people that were suggesting songs to me, the people that were playing songs, going into a record shop and seeing somebody who I would judge on the street based upon their appearance to be a specific individual and see them flipping through and picking out albums that completely contradict that theory. And you know I'm obsessed with this lately. I've been reading about uh, strangers and how facial expressions are misleading. And this was also a part of that. 
there's something that's you feel so alone when you're listening to a playlist by yourself and sure like a lot of these playlists you can find your friends and join your friends and you just sort of look up in the corner and you go oh uh Stu is listening to this album isn't that great and sometimes you click on it and you go well what is this album that they're listening to why are they listening to this fucking album right and maybe you text them right why are you listening to this album and then you get some like emojis and some sort of text back it's really great. That's one of my favorite albums. And you're like, that's it? That's the connection that I have? I've had more solid connections from strangers in record stores, from walking into a place and hearing music playing, going into a bar. Do you guys remember what bars are like? <laughs> going in and sitting at a bar in Boston. I remember there was a couple bars that really did a good job of this. Uh, Bukowski's downtown. but Bukowski's down off of Kenmore really great spot, small place. And I'd always end up in there at the bar. It's like a, like a shotgun spot, sit in those red stools and have a deep conversation with whoever I was there with. That's why I went to the bar. It wasn't just to get a, a glass of beer. It was to sit and catch up with somebody, right? And oftentimes I'd walk into that place and surprise, surprise, we'd be on some sort of rant and I'd be deep into some sort of ph the philosophy behind a specific movie or the experience that we just endured, you know, like all that kind of shit. We're just deep into it. And I'd sit there, talk, 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 right? And then the person's like, I got to take a piss. We've had three beers. I got to take a piss. And I just have this moment and I go, this song is really fucking good. What is this? What are we listening to? And we, I'd bring over the bartender. What are you listening to? And she'd be like, oh, I love this band. And I'm like, really? And she'd tell me about the band and why she loves them. And then I'm like, this whole playlist is really fucking great. Is this like a Spotify channel? She goes, no, this is my list. I made this list. This is my playlist. I love this list. And do you, do you, do you notice that when you ask somebody about their playlist or back in the day, their mixtape or their burnt CD, they get really excited. Even strangers get excited. They open up, their face brightens up. Oh, I love this. These guys are really great. When I was a kid and I used to listen to this and my parents had this album or I went on this crazy tour, right? Or after we murdered this guy and we had to put him in our trunk and we drove it out to the desert and I spent all night burying him. And on the way back, this was the song playing. And you know what? The whole time I kept thinking, this is a new chapter in my life. <laughs> That's the power of music. That is the power of it. It's the social interaction that I love so much. And that's what today's show is all about. It's about celebrating this. And I couldn't think of a better person to have on this today's episode than Mr. Alex Rodriguez. Now, a lot of you guys are like, who's Alex? What does he do? Where does he come from? Uh, let's just put it this way. He was hired by the guy that runs Coachella to literally drive across America and hunt for, through all sorts of old vinyl shops, through flea markets to hunt for a, a 30,000 and above record collection for their vinyl shop that was at Coachella. And he did such a great job at that. And he's such a knowledgeable person that he was then hired to curate their actual store. So he is the curator for Glasshouse Records. And by the way, I'm gonna have the link for all this stuff, for the Instagram account, for all this stuff below. And what's going on with Glasshouse right now is because of COVID, like so many of these record shops, 
they're forced now to have to sell things online to stay open. And the byproduct of that is that you get to see these collections. And you're just going through those Instagram accounts and you're like, oh my God, I've never seen that out before. And what is this? And that's really cool. And just the Instagram curation alone, you're sitting there going, wow, that those are albums that I want to own. Those are stuff that I want to listen to. Even if you just go there to find stuff to listen to on Spotify and build your own playlist on Spotify, it's great because it's coming from a human being. And what's really great about Alex, which I didn't realize, because I met him on Instagram. He reached out to me on Instagram. Uh, and he's a really cool dude. He's got like this 70s vibe. And I think he sent me a note like, if you're ever casting for 70s movies, I'd love to be in something. And I just looked at what he did and I went, whoa, man, I'm obsessed with vinyls right now. And what you're doing is really fucking crazy. Uh, and it turns out that he made a movie, that he was in a movie. And the movie is called Record Safari. And the other cool thing about their movie, well, it's a negative thing and it's a cool thing. The negative thing is, is that it's sort of caught up and put on the shelf right now legally with a distributor. And I'm not going to go into these details of that. So the general public can't really see it. Now, luckily for Record Store Day, they pressed, I think he said about 800 DVDs. Uh, and he's only got a few left. And I got one of them. And it's kind of cool. I feel like I found the movie that no one's allowed to see right now. Uh, so that in itself is great. The fact that instead of like most of my guests, they're just like, I've got a link online. I'll send you a link and you can check it out. Just don't share it with anybody. I didn't get that from Alex. Alex was like, I'm going to send you a DVD in the mail. How cool is that? So I had to wait a few days to get it. I had to dust off the old DVD player, toss it in there. And the movie is fantastic. Now, it's not just good because I had to wait. It's not just good because of all that material. Like, it helps. That all helps. The whole, like, waiting process of getting a DVD and all, knowing that there's only 800 of these out there and doing all that. That's cool as fuck. But then when I put the movie in, and I'm a critical dude, obviously, because I work in this business, I was completely enthralled. And what is the movie about? Well, they follow him as he goes on the road and travels across country. He does a road trip for about two to three weeks and stops at the coolest fucking vinyl shops across America. Goes from place to place. And he meets these folks. And he interviews other collectors, people that are obsessed with this medium. And, and some of these collectors are fucking insane. <laughs> They're really cool. Like some guys are like, uh, I need to have the single vinyls, uh, US and Europe for every album that I have. And he flips through them and it's like, oh my God, international US, international US, right? Some of these people are just so obsessed with music. And Alex is, I'm going to let him tell you how many vinyls he has. He's got a collection that's pretty insane. And he talks about it on the in the movie as well. Uh, lucky for you, there is a trailer online. And I will post on lovewiththeprocess.com the page for this episode. You'll be able to go and check out the trailer and watch the, the trailer for the film. And you're going to be like, Mike, I want to see this movie. Uh, it's a love letter to music. It's a love letter to the people that love music. Um, and it's like a modern day archeology span adventure because these guys have to dig for out of print vinyls. He has to go on the road all the time to continuously build an inventory to keep the store open. Cause it's not like when I was a kid, when I was a manager of a music store, 
when I had inventory show up on a truck every Tuesday, coming from the labels and coming from the distributors, uh, that doesn't really exist anymore. Sure, there are people putting out new albums and there are limited presses of albums and there's great companies like Waxmerks and all these spots that are doing really cool specialty items, but a majority of their inventory comes from either buying it from personal collections or buying it out of flea markets or buying it out of record stores across America. Pretty cool stuff, right? It's an adventure. And we all need that right now. Stuck at home with COVID, not being able to go anywhere, not being able to do anything. It's an adventure. Watch the trailer. You guys are going to be jealous that you can't see this movie yet. Um, and strap yourselves in because it's a great talk about music. It starts a little rough and rocky because I had a couple of technical issues. I'm going to say this right now. Zencaster, you're on my shit list. Uh, whatever you guys are doing for the recent update, I lost. It was a dropout twice. So there's a couple spots that are a little rugged. Liam's going to make it seem like nothing happened. And you're going to go, Mike, why would you even talk about this? But it's true. And you'll hear it in our interview itself. We get a little awkward at the beginning because we're trying to figure out this technical bullshit. But stick with it. Because once we get in, it's good, man. And the interview goes to good places, and we talk about great stuff. It's all about the people. It's all about human connections. I'm excited that you're here. Thank you so much for supporting the show. As always, following me on Instagram, at Mike Petchy on Instagram, or following the podcast, at Love of the Process Pod. That's Love of the Process P-O-D on Instagram. There, I've been posting my vinyls, my vinyl collections. I've also been posting... Um, uh, links to movies that I'm watching. I'm going back and watching old movies. I'm, I'm not taking credit for it. Completely inspired by that list from Tarantino and Scorsese and Edgar Wright. I've been going through those and using that as a springboard into deeper uh, movies that I have never seen from my past. I'm telling you, I keep promoting them. The Criterion channel is it's great. It's a good place to go for good stuff. Uh, so I love you guys. Um, and continue to uh, show us love by telling us what you think about the episodes. And please leave a review for this one underneath. I know I'm breaking the normal format for the series and for the show. Let me know what you think. Because uh, I dig it. I'll, I'll kind of listen to what you say. Uh, it's not true. I'll listen to what you say. So leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, wherever you're listening. Just scroll down to the bottom and leave a review. One star is fine. Um, so that's it. Without further ado, let's get into it. I'm excited about today's episode. Uh, I'm so happy to be able to nail down Alex. It took me a little while to do this. So strap yourselves in. Grab those noise-canceling headphones, if you don't already have them on. Uh, find a comfy place to hang out, sit back and relax. Maybe you have a vinyl collection of your own. By the way, if you do and you're listening, and you're a vinyl nerd, write to me on Instagram and tell me that you are, because uh, I want to get nerdy with you. Anyway, sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Alex, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today about some music, some vinyl stuff. Like uh, I <clears throat> was uh, saying in the intro that I recorded that uh, for years I 
was a music guy, completely in love with music, uh, worked in a music store as a manager for like two or three years. And then of course doing music videos and being immersed with all them. And I hit this point, I think it was cause of uh, all the algorithm stuff. I hit this point where I started to get bored with music and sort of fall out of it. And uh, my girlfriend Gina bought me a record player for the first time this year and I'm back in. So it's like the coolest thing in the world to me because I feel like I'm back going into record stores and back flipping through albums and I'm like mingling with folks and getting opinions on albums and it just, it feels personal again. And that's why I'm excited to have you on, dude. Yeah, totally. And I, I think like a big part, I, I talk to a lot of people about that. A big part of sometimes falling out of music is that, you know, if you're a certain age, uh, like, you know, you're like, 30 and up mm-hmm. you know a lot of new stuff that's coming out kind of seems like it's kind of been done already in the last 10 years yeah i definitely feel like you know it's it's unless you're just diving real deep into old stuff you don't know about like i can see how like a lot of new music seems kind of rehashed and you know some people like totally love it no matter what even if it sounds like stuff they've heard and and to like young kids it's like sounds like stuff they've never heard because they haven't heard, heard the old stuff yeah but I could definitely see how, like, like for me, I kind of was getting tired of like the new music that was coming out. Like, nothing <laughs> was changing to me, and I and, and it made me go back further. Like, like just dig deeper into like stuff I didn't know from like a long time ago. You know. Well, dude, and we do the same things in the in the film world and with with movies and stuff because it always feels like. You know, I remember when I was younger and I was living with my grandfather who was in his 80s and I would come into the house and be like really excited about a movie. I'm like, have you seen this movie? He goes, yeah, I saw it like four fucking times before this movie came out. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. And so then when I started to say that stuff, I'm like, oh God, am I becoming an old dude? Because all this stuff is rehashed. But then you forget as you go back and you you dig through it. And I've been deep into the Criterion channel and I've been going back and watching all these old classics. The movies that the movies I grew up loving are based on or inspired by. And it's just a lot of fun. And that is the same thing with music. You know what I mean? So I, there's a complete parallel between the two of those, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, there's so many movies that I wish they would remake because of the technology they have now. And they can make them like so much cooler, but just don't change anything. Like not the script. Yeah. Not some add some new scene that didn't exist in the old. Like I wish they would just remake it like, like kind of almost like a record. Like it's like reissued with maybe some deluxe packaging, but the music's exactly the same. You know, <laughs> is there a specific movie that you would love to see that done with? Yeah. So like when Clash of the Titans mm-hmm. was like did a remake, I was super excited. I was like, oh man, this is gonna be awesome. And I, I saw it in the movie theater and. It was like completely different from the original. It's like a whole new story, and you know, it just had elements like, like for instance, I remember like one of the parts I really disliked was the guy finds the metal owl, and he like he's like, "What the heck is this?" And he just throws it away, and then they don't use the metal owl for the whole movie. And I'm like, the metal owl was like awesome. (laughs) I totally remember that, man. (laughs) Yeah, I was just like, so so that's like a movie that would be freaking amazing, and like a lot of horror and stuff because you know like. The, the special effects were not so great or, you know, like um, just science fiction movies, you know, from the seventies and eighties or even sixty stuff. Like, you know, like the black and white ones yeah. that had like, giant spiders or something, you know, like have great stories. But then like when you watch them, it's kind of like cheesy looking now. Yeah, you know? totally. There's a feel to that. And I, and I do like the cheesiness, but 
I feel like it would also be cool to like watch them with like cool special effects, you know, like, like when Lord of the Rings came out, like, man, like the, those special effects were amazing. Yeah. You know? No. And he, he was good with that. Actually. He did a good job adapting. I mean, what a, what a difficult story to adapt on the screen anyways, but he, oh, did, yeah. really, he did a really good job of that. And you know who else did that? What you're saying I don't know if it was successful or not, but Gus Van Sant did Psycho. Remember, he did Psycho with Vince Vaughn. Uh, yeah, he, I never watched that one. He, I mean, I've watched the original. Yeah, he essentially shot for shot did the same thing and just uh, swapped out the characters. So it was like Vince Vaughn and I think like Anne Heche was in that or something. It was a weird cast. Uh, yeah, I'll check that out. I like the original. Yeah, the original's great. And the, the remake wasn't bad. I mean, Gus Van Sant's a great director. Um, but uh, yeah, dude, it's the same thing with uh you know comic book movies for me and and uh you just want to have you know what it is is that you fall in love with a specific story element and i think that when people try to update things they're like well it has to be current for the new audience and they have a lower you know they don't have as much of a bandwidth to be able to stay their attention span isn't the same and it's like that's not necessarily 100 percent true like you could still make this stuff cool you know i mean i could but i could see their point you know like uh because i mean i mean definitely like the, the like people 20 and below have i feel like have like a shorter attention span just because they're used to having everything like instant with like internet and phone and yeah you know things delivered straight to your house, like no matter what it is, like it's like buying something on Amazon, it's there next day, you know? And it's like some of my age, I'm 41. It's like, you know, I remember like having to send a self-addressed stamped envelope <laughs> to a record like label. And then they send me back a catalog. And then I order, I on their order form, I put which records I want. And I also had to pick alternative records just in case they were out of something and then send it back to them and then have to wait for my record. And by the end of the process, it was like, we're talking like, by the time I got my records, it was like a month, you know? (laughs) But you know, when you did get those albums, you probably listened to the, like listen to them until you wore them out at that point. Right. Because yeah, yeah. 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 A lot of things back then it was like, you know, there wasn't things like YouTube and streaming services. So like a lot of times I would just, find labels I liked and I would take chances on other bands. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes I didn't like the record, you know, but that was just kind of what you had to do. You know, you're like, well, you, you assume like the label has similar artists on there. You know, like if you like this band, you're going to like this band, but some labels weren't. Some labels were like completely like discord is a label where there's just, like so much random stuff. It's all DC related, but like that's the thing. They just release a lot of DC records. So there's so many different types of bands on the label and some you like, some you don't, but then there are some labels where every band sounds exactly the same. So you can always trust that you'll probably like it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And the thing that, you know, I want to make sure that the folks listening to the show, because I have a lot of younger listeners and they have to put up with me going, remember the day when, but it's not, I'm not saying that it isn't as good today. And I'm not saying that, you can't find really great stuff if you're using Spotify and stuff. But I'm just expressing, and I know a lot of folks feel this way, it just feels a little impersonal. And whatever you need to do to make it personal again um, and to feel like you're getting curated uh, suggestions from somebody else, somebody that is explaining to you like, I emotionally feel really great when I listen to this album and here's why. Or if you go to a bar or a restaurant and there's a great track playing and you're pulling out an app trying to figure out what that album is because it's a timestamp for that, you know, that first date that you had or, or hanging out with one of your pals. Like music is such an emotional uh 
I, timestamp is a great way to describe it for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, and that's kind of what I dig about uh, going back and digging through vinyls is that I feel like when I go into a record shop now, there's history here because a lot of these 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 vinyls are no longer in print. And so you're digging through and you're looking for uh, stuff that was purchased from other collections and you're looking for collectibles and stuff. It starts to feel a lot more special, you know what I mean, than MP3s or than streaming. Yeah, ones. for sure. And I mean, that's a big part of records is, you know, like it's, it's something, I mean, this is like the most common saying to say, uh, like it's tangible, you know? Like, yeah, totally. You're not, you're not holding an MP3, you're not you know, you don't own an MP3. Sure, if you bought it on, like, you know, you download it or whatever and paid for it, like, you kind of own it, but, like, not really, you know? <laughs> if your computer gets wiped out, it's gone. And, like, you know, you like, with a record, it's actually something you can hold. It's something you can look at. It's something you can post on your Instagram. It's, you know, it's just something you can show your friends. You could trade. You can sell. You can, you know, do whatever you want with it, you know? Yeah. No, and I always feel a lot more... Uh, personally connected to the artist when I'm actually holding tangible media and especially with the format that is an album, I forget the dimensions, the actual physical dimensions of an album, but that artwork is inc incredibly immersive. You know, oh, yeah, totally. not like not only can you see it in great detail, but you actually can hold it. You can smell it. There's a texture to it. And I find myself when I'm listening to an album that I love, I'm usually holding on to the album art and sort of staring, getting lost in that album art for long periods of time. You know? Yeah. I, one thing I do like about what some streaming audio is doing is sometimes some songs will, when you're listening, I think this is, this is a good way that kind of connects someone to the, the song through streaming is like, sometimes they have the little pop-ups that tell you info about the song yeah, or, yeah. or info about like something about the artist or what they meant when they said this lyric that like they, you know, it'll be a quote from them like, Oh, this is, when I said this, this I was referring to this thing, you know, mm -hmm. and so that's something that is kind of neat about the streaming audio, but uh, which you don't get with an album, you know, unless there's liner notes, you know, sometimes records come with liner notes that talk about how they made the record and stuff like that. So, so the, I, I think that is one cool thing about what streaming is doing is like educating people that like sometimes a record can't, cause sometimes it's just like the, it just tells you what songs are on it and who the artists are like the, the band members and who produced it and that's about it you know totally man and and for like a lot of the new acts out there that uh that i love uh i would never have heard of them without the power of the internet i never would have heard a lot of these acts without having them suggested to me but once i find them i love the idea of supporting the artist by buying physical media and i love the idea of owning physical content whether it is an album or a t-shirt or something from these guys. It just feels like the ultimate, you know, hug or thank you for, for the fucking hard work, especially as a musician these days, because it's so intensely complicated uh, as far as like, how do you make money? How do you survive? Like the, the paths for these guys is a lot different than it used yeah. to be. You know? Definitely album sales are not the way musicians make money these days, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you're like a huge artist that gets like several millions or hundreds of millions or billion streams, yeah, you're making money. But if you're like someone who's getting like 200,000 streams a year, there's not that much money to be made. And they mostly make it through touring and merch, you know, like selling t-shirts. Like, so like, 
if you definitely want to support an artist, like when whenever you go see them, when concerts are back, like, you know, always buy a T-shirt or buy the record direct from them because I think they get more money that way. Mm -hmm. they, you know, but it's fine to buy it through like a record store, too. But if like you don't have it and they have it for sale, that's like a great way to, you know, give back to the artist. I, I completely agree. I just bought the recent Flaming Lips album directly from those guys. And they're like, it's going to take a while to ship because of COVID. I'm like, I don't care, man. It's fine. <laughs> I'd rather see you guys get the cash for it. So, yeah, I mean, there was that time like where the post office was so backed up. And, you know, we at the Glasshouse Record Store, the store I run, we never sold online. I mean, every very rarely did we sell online. And when we did, it was usually stuff that just been sitting at the store too long. And we're like, okay, it's been here like a year. Let's just put it online and get rid of it. Like, you know, mm -hmm. and we were very anti-online. We were all about, we want all the cool records in the store, even if it takes eight months to sell, like, you know, for that right person to walk in, we want it there for them. And then when we were shut down for several months, we were like, we still had to stay in business. So we had to move to online selling. And there was a time where like packages, I was like getting emails and messages all day long. Like, Hey, it's been like three weeks and I live in LA and the record's shipping from LA. Why don't I have it yet? You know? And it was just, <laughs> we're just like sitting in the post office, like, you know, warehouse or whatever, the shipping facility, like, you know, I, I mean, there was times where like one time, like I looked at the mailing address and I was like, this person lives like three blocks away. Maybe I should just go drop it off. But I also didn't want to be like weird because it was during COVID. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'll just throw it in the mail. You know? <laughs> but then it took like seven days to get them, even though they like, I literally took it um, to a post office a mile away and they lived a mile away from that post office. Cause then from that post office, it goes to like a facility somewhere else in LA and then from there, they send it on back to like somewhere and on route. It's crazy. <laughs> well, it's been nuts. I mean, and, and you know, the yeah, Amazon kind of kills it for, for anybody that's not Amazon because for some, I don't know what they're doing behind the scenes, but for some reason their shit gets like next day delivery all the fucking time, yeah. you know, um, which has got to be difficult when you're running just a, like a homegrown record shop where you're like, fuck, you know what I mean? How do I compete with those guys? Yeah, the, the thing is, is like, it's just communication. I was really good about like telling people like constantly like posting like, hey, it's going to just FYI, your order is going to take longer than normal. It could take up to a couple weeks to even just go from one city to the next city over. And, and I think once you, you know, people got to kind of got used to things taking a long time, which is actually good because like we're so used to being impatient. So maybe it helped us a little that things were taking a while. You know? Completely. While, everyone was like so used to it. Like that like now it's like kind of like, yeah, whatever. If it takes like if I get it next week when I ordered it on Monday and I get it next Friday, you know, two weeks from now, whatever, it's fine. I get it. COVID times, you know? Yeah. Well, one of the things I was doing was I would just stack my orders so that randomly I'll have an album show up on my doorstep and I'm like, what is this again? Oh, and then you open it up and it's like Christmas, you know, it's a surprise and you're like, Fuck. yeah, that happened to me. Like, uh, we were cleaning out the shop and I, I opened, I found a package or two packages and I was like, well, what are these? They're, they've never been open. And they were records I ordered on Discogs, like, <laughs> three years back that I just never opened and never took home. And then I completely <laughs> forgot about it. And then when, and so it was kind of fun. It was like Christmas, like opening them up. And I'm like, I don't remember what I bought. And then I was like, Oh yeah, this is cool. Oh, this one. <laughs> so, I mean, we were sitting at my work for three years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's what I love about this physical media stuff is that there is that sense of excitement. And when you don't get instant gratification for this stuff, it you, you sort of build your excitement builds. And then when you get it, 
uh, it's almost it, it just feels so much more earned you know what i yeah. mean yeah. which i really I mean, dig there's one thing that's cool about record stores too is like you know it's it's definitely more fun to go into a record store no expectations of what you're going to find and just mm -hmm. as you're flipping you're like oh my wow i haven't thought about this album in a long time and you know you, there it is and you want it and you buy it and that's something more special than just going online and being like oh, i'm gonna buy that and i'm gonna you know it's it's like because there's a little more mystery behind the flipping through the bins you know because you never know what's you never know what record's coming up next you know every yeah. single flip is like you don't know what's next unless of course you're in a section like you're you're in the rolling stone section you know you're going to see another rolling stones record but when it's just like classic rock R, you just never know what's next you know? <laughs> well when i go to shops now i always say because my girlfriend and i go and it's you know we go to a couple of shops that are open and they only let a certain amount of people in and social distancing and all that but when we go in i'm like i'm buying two albums today that's it i'm buying two albums and it, it never happens because i'm flipping through it i'm like fuck this is some uh, yep this is going <laughs> so you know i have a stack i have a stack of albums you know I mean, it's like a grocery store, you know, you, you go in, you, you need butter and you end up walking out spending like a hundred bucks on a bunch of crap you didn't need. It's going to go bad, and, you know. I love it, man. I love it. You know the deal. It is time to say uh, thank you to the men and women that make this show possible. I am talking about the sponsors of our show. First up are our good friends over at Puget Systems. If you are, <laughs> if you're a music producer, if you're a Spotify listener, and you have a computer that continues to give you the old pinwheel of death, and you need to buy a new machine, I highly suggest you look into buying a PC. Yes, I know. I said a PC, right? Well, this isn't the early 2000s. PCs don't crash. PCs are stable. PCs are reliable. They're affordable. They're upgradable. And I found a great company that builds amazing machines. These guys don't manufacture products, so they're not manufacturing the hardware and trying to pedal it off on you. They're actually digging through the internet, digging through manufacturers, beta testing, benchmark testing, all this equipment to get you machines that specifically work for the hardware, for the software that you're running. So you can go to PugetSystems.com, PugetSystems.com, check it out. You can choose a system based upon the software that you're gonna use. They offer up baseline packages to get you started, but then they want to talk to you. They wanna hear what you need. They wanna help build specific machines for you. These guys love creatives. They just do. I can't say enough great things about them. Go to PugetSystems.com. They've been supporting me for years. I'm happy and proud to have them as a sponsor on this show. Also, supporting us as always is our good friends over at Quasar, one of the best advancement one of the best advancements in movie industry over the past 10 years has been lighting, LED lighting. Uh, Quasar is at the forefront of that. They have the best units, high quality LED fixtures. They have uh, amazingly uh, well-balanced bicolor units. They have rainbow LED units. I'm telling you right now, if you're looking for a good light for your kit, Quasar is the place to go. And if you have a Quasar uh, unit in your kit and you're working with a gaffer or anybody on the lighting team and they see it, they go, well, this guy kind of knows his shit because he actually bought something that we can use. Instead of like 
that crap. I don't know how many gaffers and and uh, grips I've talked to that complain about the DPS that show up with like their little like homemade kits. It's like I made this thing. I got these LEDs from China and I rolled them together and duct taped them, and it's the perfect light. It's like yeah, the quality of light may be okay on it, but the durability when you're using it on set is just gonna fall apart on me. It's a huge pain in my ass. I had a buddy of mine, I think it was Aaron Taberski. I just dropped your name, buddy, that was telling me about having to deal with that. And he's like, I fucking hate it when people show up with their own little custom-made units. Because it may work at home, but when you're on set and you're running around, the shit falls apart. You need something that's reliable, you need something that's durable. And I know he likes Quasar. So go check him out, go to QuasarScience.com. And they got a bunch of great content there. Follow them on Instagram, at QuasarScience, and if you do, Drop a note underneath any of their images. Be like, I listen to In Love With The Process, and that's why I'm here. It's important. Uh, all right, let's see. Also supporting the show. Uh, you know what? Let's keep the uh, let's keep the ad reads to a minimum on this. I think uh, we'll also do an Audible. So a great way to support the show, if you haven't done so already, is sign up for a free trial at Audible. So if you go to audibletrial.com backslash In Love With The Process, the link is below the episode. Um, sign up, you'll get a free audiobook, and you'll also get 30 days for free. So access to a bunch of their audio content. They have podcasts up there. They have series up there. They get great shit. Uh, you know that I'm using Audible to listen to all of my books right now. I'm listening to some great ones. Um, and you can do this as long as you haven't done it for another podcast. You can sign up and get it for free. We get paid. And if it turns out after 30 days, you're like, I can't really afford this and you have to cancel, not a big deal, we still get paid. But you're gonna wanna stick around because you get obsessed. I do. Like I'm collecting audiobooks right now and I'm just listening to way too much stuff. I don't know how I have enough time in the day to process all the comic books and audiobooks and everything that I'm listening to. So check them out. Like I said, the link is below the episode. All right, let's get back into it with Alex. Look, one of the reasons why we got you on the show today is that uh, you sent me over uh, a movie that you did uh, a little while ago, and I fucking loved it, dude. Uh, movie's called Record Safari. For those of you listening, we'll have links to where you can see the trailer. Um, I don't think it's out officially to the public yet, right? Can they still buy DVDs for it? Uh, I, I think I have like five left. So what it was was um, it was supposed to be... St- streamed at coachella uh in 2020 like it was going to be on youtube um like a live stream during the festival mm-hmm. um and obviously coachella was canceled and so then that messed everything up for the movie and it was also supposed to come out on record store day for the the sound the vinyl soundtrack and the the dvd and the, there was only 800 dvds made so the dvd was like pretty limited and the soundtrack same thing 800 yeah and so it was supposed to all come out in April of 2020, like, you know, live stream on Coachella and then, you know, probably go to a, you know, go to a streaming platform after that. And then we, everything got messed up. The record store day had to cancel and they pushed it to three dates, like June, August and October. And we got pushed to the October one, which is like, you know, the last one. And so for a long time, no one could see it. We did rent it for like a month and a half, like streaming online 
in March and April. Mm -hmm. And so that was a way to see it. But right now it, it was purchased by like a multi media company and mm -hmm. they're not they're just sitting on it so it's not really doing anything so the only way to see it right now is acquiring a dvd which is kind of cool <laughs> i i mean it sucks that you guys aren't getting the audience uh you know sprawl that you want to get and need to get for the movie but it's kind of cool that you yeah, have a little it's kind of it's, it's like uh you know uh it's kind of makes it Kind of cool if you can get one, you know, like, and, and it's, it's physical media, so which kind of coincides with records. That's why we released a DVD because we thought, like, why, why are we talking about physical media with music and records, and why wouldn't we, why would we not release it on a physical form, the movie, you know? Yeah, no, dude, I love the fact that I've got one. It's really cool. And for those of you listening, so the film is pretty amazing. It's about Alex's gig, so. Basically, you were hired by Coachella. How long How long have you been doing this album search for these guys? Uh, I've been doing this for 2000, since 2013, like building the Coachella record store at the festival. Yeah, which is amazing. And so basically, uh, the film follows Alex as he travels across country, does a road trip across country, and goes to all his favorite vinyl shops on the hunt for uh, interesting vinyls to sort of build this collection for the Coachella show. Um, and it's fascinating. And like I was saying in the intro, and like we were talking about before, uh, he's looking for albums that are out of print. He's looking for older stuff, really curating a selection. So that way, when you go into the, sh the shop, uh, you have that flipping experience where it's like, fuck, this is a great album. This is a great album. Uh, it's a lot of work, man. How long does it take you to travel cross country and look for all these albums? Uh, generally, I'm on the road for, I mean, the longest I've ever done a trip is six weeks. But it, it all depends on, I, I basically get a budget, a buying budget. And mm -hmm. whenever the budget runs out, I got to go home. You know? <laughs> so, sometimes like I, I'm, I only make it to like, depends on like what I get into or like sometimes I come across a collection, like someone tips me off to a record, like a collection and I buy that and it costs a lot of money, a lot of my budget. And then I just have to turn around and go home, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's been times where I literally like have like, not enough to get a hotel for the night. And it's like, like my last night on the road, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it's just like, but generally I would say most trips arrange three to four weeks on the road. I did. It's fucking rad. I, one of the things that I've talked about on the show before is uh, when I travel around and when I would travel around and do music videos for artists, we would have to go to different places and sort of catch up with the artist. And what we would do every time we went to a city is we would do what I called a bar safari, which was we'd go and hunt uh, for all like the, the weirdest bars, the strangest places, and then get lists from bartenders and sort of go on the safari. And I felt that same way watching your doc. I felt like watching you go on this record safari and meeting all these really cool people and getting into like these really fascinating collections and, and finding all these great albums. There's this great sense of adventure behind the film. Um, and this, uh, wrote, like this, you build this romance about the physical media that when you watch it, you can't help but like be writing things down going, oh, fuck, I want that album. Or just going like, man, that shop looks amazing. It's almost like, a, it's like a, an Anthony Bourdain of music kind of piece. Yeah, totally. I mean, like I, I would, I've always thought like it'd be cool to be uh, Anthony Bourdain, you know, traveling the world. And <laughs> instead I'd be, you know, more focused on music than food, you know? So. Yeah, dude. But uh, yeah, like, and that's the thing too, when we did the documentary, I didn't want to do the documentary, to be honest with you, like it took some coaxing, you know, like, like <laughs> I, 
I didn't want like I was like what a movie about me I'm just like a dude you know like cheesy I don't want people making fun of me like they did a movie on this guy why he's just Alex you know but I I like was like okay if we're gonna do this I don't want it to just be about records it's got to be have travel element it's got to have food element like stuff about me personally and and I don't want it to just be about me and that's why we have the other collectors and you know stuff like that in there because like I, I just I I wanted to I wanted to basically you to feel like you were on the road with me and so it wasn't just straight records like even my when my mom watched the movie she's she was like yeah I thought all the record stuff was boring but I liked all the other stuff you know so so then that way it kind of reaches out to all types of people so like if you're let's say you you're watching the movie with your significant other or a lot of times people told me their children, like their little kids liked it, you know, and they never liked records or anything. They just <laughs> yeah. thought it was fun to watch, like see the different parts of the U.S. and, you know, what I have to do and stuff like that and just scenery and, you know, what I get into while I'm on the road. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's all part of it, though. At the end of the day, you know, you can listen to high quality music online. You can listen to high quality music at I don't know if anybody has CDs anymore, but you can listen to high quality music a bunch of different ways. But what I like about your story, what I like about this film, what I like about this medium is that you're getting, you're getting your ass out. You're going out and you're meeting new people and you're in exchanging with folks. And the same way we kind of live vicariously through a lot of these chefs on like Chef Doc series and all that kind of stuff, you're, you're sharing emotions with somebody. And, and to see somebody go, dude, I have this album, let me put this album on for you. And then the two of you listen to it you want to be there. You want to be hanging out. You want to be a part of that. Um, and that's what I love about it, man. You know, yeah. really cool stuff, dude. And yeah, that's, I mean, there's a great, Oh, I was going to say, there's a great line in the movie where someone, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm butchering a little bit, mm-hmm. but like it, the, the person says, uh, that's the beauty of music and records is you become friends with someone you wouldn't normally become friends with, you know, because you have that common, you know, you have that common interest in music because you guys can be completely different scenes. Like maybe it's someone who's all about hip hop and into like, you know, whatever, like, you know, racing cars and whatever. Like I'm not into racing cars, but I've become friends with this person because we both collect records, you know, and, and me, like I'm just like, you know, into records and nature and stuff like that. And maybe they're not, but they're now my friend because we both like records, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's funny when you talk about like scenes that you're into, because I remember when I was a kid, I was very much into metal, like very much into metal and very much into, uh, you know, some classic rock. But I had a very specific genre that kind of stuck with me for years into my early 20s. Uh, and it wasn't until it wasn't until I started doing music videos for these guys in these genres where, where I'd turn to like a hardcore act and, and and I'd be like, guys, wouldn't it be great if uh, this video had like the color blue in it instead of just greens and black t-shirts? And how about you guys bring some different pants other than just skinny black jeans and listening to these guys go, no, this is the scene. These are the rules. And I was like, yeah. I got to get out of this. <laughs> that was when I was growing up, when I was like, I was, I was when I was really young, like eight, nine, ten, I was into like just you know a lot of hair metal, like you know Skid Row. That's mm-hmm. through. And then I got like in the early nineties, like ninety, ninety one. I liked everything that I'd watch on MTV, but like what I was really into is like 
Morbid Angel, Deicide, like Slayer, stuff like that. You know, just real heavy stuff. Yep. And then, then I went to high school and met a bunch of skateboarders. And I was kind of, I was trying to, I was like a total poser skater, like in junior high. Well, I, <laughs> I liked all the skateboarding culture and I wore their clothes, but I didn't actually have a skateboard because my mom wouldn't ever buy me one. And like by high school, I actually got one and started hanging out with the skaters. And they, those kids introduced me to punk, you know, and then I got all into punk. And so the thing is, I totally, like, like you said, like I was, I've always loved pop music. Like I said, I liked everything on MTV. And so I would have to like pretend like I only punk and hardcore. (laughs) I, I even with my friends, they were like, metal's not cool. So I had to like ditch metal, even though I was listening to hardcore, which was really heavy, you know? And I had to ditch metal and I had to pretend like I didn't like the new Sheryl Crow song that came out on MTV. (laughs) But like when I'd go home, I'd totally just like be immersed in like all types of music, pop, hip hop, like, you know, even sometimes country. Like I loved Shania Twain and Garth Brooks and stuff like that. But when it came to being around my friends, they never knew that, (laughs) you know? You know? Yeah. It's funny. And then like, I find that as I get older, it's, it's better. It's okay for me to go. I love everything. And I know that there's a lot of music like purists out there that when they ask that question, like, what's your favorite genre? I go, I listen to a bit of everything. They roll their eyes and they go, you listen to a bit of everything. And it's like, well, yeah, but I do, man. Like music for me comes at from like, I'm an MTV generation. I'm 42. So I'm MTV generation, hundred percent, but then also movies, like how many classic tracks do i love because of martin scorsese how many amazing songs do we like does this generation like because of tarantino you know and so you hear those tracks and you start humming those tracks and like uh those old motown bits and you're like man this is really great and then when i go vinyl shopping i'm in there and i go oh this is that fucking track from that from from jackie brown i wonder what the rest of the album sounds like and then you pick it up and you go this album's fucking fantastic uh, and like the music's really great. The, the compositions are amazing and the vibe is just wonderful. And so yeah. you just don't feel as restricted as I did as a kid, because then you're, you're playing around in like the subgenres of like, like metal, for instance, where it's like, okay, so this is obviously doom metal. This is obviously a bunch of guys that love black Sabbath and they're trying to play it faster. I got it. You know what I mean? And, and so you're stuck in like the cycle of that genre where, yeah. I feel like that's something interesting about the new generation now where uh, you don't really have that genre specific stuff going on. And everybody's like, well, I listen a bit of everything. And it really influences the way shit sounds, I think, you know. I also think a part of it was, you know, nowadays there's no such thing as like, it's, it's really hard to find an underground scene nowadays because the Internet has like exposed everybody to everything worldwide, mm-hmm. you know, like what uh, a popular music trend somewhere like in India, we hear about it in America because of like people sharing it through social media or TikTok videos or whatever, you know, and it used to be, you know, there wasn't that connection to get things across. Like, you know, like, let's say you, you like, for instance, let's take, you know, it used to be like cities had, you know, hair metal was prominent in los angeles grunge seattle you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. like certain types of like punk was out of london or los angeles or new york city you know like and you know i think people felt i'm part of something special so i want to keep it like 
small, you know, like I, I don't want it to the masses. I don't want it to be like, you know, all the people that listen to like Boston, you know, like me listening to like the Ramones or something like back in the seventies. Like I, <laughs> I want to be in this small scene. Like I don't want to be part of the masses and it made you feel more unique. And like nowadays it's just like, it's impossible to like not be exposed to everything and for things to not like be for things to be secretive and small, you know, yeah. Does that makes sense. No, it totally does. It totally does. And that changes, that changes all of that. Like, when you look, if you think about how a lot of these bands got big, it was because of that. If you go back and I always think of Metallica, you know what I mean? Metallica wouldn't be Metallica without their fans and without sort of that, you know, it's just us and fuck the rest of the world kind of mentality that they had for years and years and years. Uh, and one would even say that their music was better when they were doing that kind of shit. So, like, it's it's fascinating to see... You know, if it's going to be, if, if you're going to have those underground, because like you said, it's really difficult to have an underground band right now that comes out of nowhere, you know? Yeah. And it's like also, you know, again, going back to like the certain cities and scenes and, you know, areas, you know, it, nowadays, you know, a kid in Singapore can hear something coming out of California and then start a band like that in Singapore, which that was not very likely in the <laughs> internet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Unless they saw them live somehow, like the band happened to tour through Singapore, you know, like, <laughs> and that's how they started it. You know, they're like, and they had to remember like, what did they sound like again? They were kind of like this, you know, while they're playing their guitar, you know, but now it's just like anything, anything, anyone can hear anything now. And that's kind of what's cool about going into record stores circling back to records is, you know, you're looking at a picture of something and you're going to see something that you, that wasn't on a Spotify playlist and it's yeah. going to get your attention. And, you know, a lot of times people will just look it up and see if they can find what it sounds like and listen to it and go, Oh yeah, I don't like that. I'll put it back or, you know, but then there are some people that are like, you know what, I'm just going to chance it. It's like buying a lotto ticket. I'm either going to win or lose, you know, like I'm going to put it on my turntable and it's either going to be awesome or it's going to suck. And it's like I took a chance on a gamble, you know, that's Dude, what, I, I cool. love it, man. I just recently did that at one of the record uh, shops that we went into because a lot of the records that you find are very inexpensive. So it's it's really not that big of a gamble. And I ended up grabbing an album that is my favorite fucking album of this year, which is an old Webby Edwards uh, Hawaii Calls album, which is all oh, Hawaiian nice. tracks. And I, th I think it was like a $4 fucking you know, gamble. And I just threw it in the package having no idea what it sounded like and brought it home and went, this is fucking amazing. You know? Yeah, I mean, it, when that's how I learned a lot about music was in the '90s, in the late '90s. Is I, I collect, I started collecting records in 1994 because I was going to punk shows, and the punk bands would always sell a lot of their music on like seven inch, you know, like yep, and because it was like the cheapest way to put something out, it was cheaper than tapes, it was cheaper than CDs, um, cheaper than a whole record, you know. So a lot of times, so I got started collecting a lot of seven inches, and then. Once I started getting, I, I dated this girl who was very into like Rolling Stones and Beatles. And she kind of like, what she like at the time I didn't have a car. And so she was always driving. And since she was driving, it was always her music. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what exposed me to a lot of 60s music and got me into like 
that you know because like before i was like oh whatever beach boys that's like my mom's music you know? <laughs> right 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 and, and like then i started liking it always hearing it around you know the girlfriend at the time and so then i was like oh maybe i should start buying old records i always go to record stores looking for like the new stuff that's coming out like maybe i should go look into the, all those old records that i never look at you know and then uh <laughs> I, a lot of times back in the late 90s it was they were cheap you know a lot of like led zeppelin records were like a dollar fleetwood mac records were like in the 50 cent bin you know because they were like yeah a totally dude and then i started going to thrift stores i'd i'd gone to thrift stores for clothes but I'd never looked at the records because again, I'm like, there's not going to be punk records, like, which I was dumb. There probably was, you know, but like, I just was like, there's not going to be some new punk band I'm into in the records. But, uh, so I started going through the records and thrift stores buying. And a lot of times back in the late nineties, sometimes they'd be as cheap as like 10 cents a piece, you know? And so I started just like, well, this looks cool. This looks cool. This guy looks cool. You know, this girl is like, attractive like so like these were things that like started making me buy anything <laughs> and everything because it was dirt cheap like you know i remember this one thrift store would go to they were 10 cents and like i could buy with five bucks 50 records and i would just buy the ones i thought yeah. had interesting covers and that's how i learned a lot about music just exploring you know and i'd go home and ah oh, this one's a, this one sucks whatever lost 10 cents oh this is amazing yeah. you know Totally, man. And well, well, here's the big question: How big is your record collection now? Uh, somewhere around like twenty three thousand, over, probably <laughs> closer to close to twenty four, and and that's pared down wow. to about seven years or eight years now. I got rid of like ten thousand, so I had like thirty thousand. And I got rid of 10,000. A lot of those records I was talking about that I just bought in thrift stores because I got to this point where I like started getting, like in 1999, I started getting into everything vintage, like dressing, you know, grew my hair out, like long, dressing like vintage 70s clothes. And so then I had this thing where I wanted every record from the 70s. I didn't care what style of music it was. Like it could be pop, like, you know, it could be like Barry Manilow. Like I didn't care. I wanted to have everything 70s you know in my house and <laughs> so I, I was buying like a lot of junk and then so i i finally was like i need to get rid of a lot of that like stuff i don't really need so i got rid of like ten thousand records which dropped me down to like 20 and then Jesus. in the last eight i've probably added like over three thousand in eight years <laughs> but now i almost never add anything like it's pretty rare i mean i'd say like an average of like 10 or less a month I add to the collection. Um, so, so you're back down to what normal purchases would be. Yeah, at that point. I mean, that I, I don't buy anything, you know, like yeah, I don't buy yeah. anything. Um, and part of it is like, you know, I have so much, I'm almost never home. So I'm like, it's not like I'm even here to enjoy them. Um, I'm always at work or out looking for records rather than home listening to them. And plus I listen to records at work all day. So by the time mm -hmm. I, in my commute, I live in LA and the store's in Pomona. So it's like a 30 to 40 minute commute. And so I, yeah. I listen to music on the way to work. I'm at work like eight to 10 hours a day. I, I listen to records all day in the record store. I drive 40 minutes home, listen to music. So by the time I get home, I'm like, okay, I want to watch TV or a movie or just get on my phone and get <laughs> Instagram or whatever, you know? So that's another reason why I don't add a lot anymore because I know like it's just going to sit in a shelf and I'd rather have someone else enjoy it. That's going to play it, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. One of the things that was also really great about your movie was that you can see the different 
type of collectors out there and the different type of individuals that do it. And I, th- I think there was a really great quote in it where someone said, like, you're either a baseball card collector or you're a comic book collector. And the baseball cards guys come in and they push you around and they try to get their stuff. And the comic book guys are like sharing and going like, look at this cover. Yeah, um, it's completely true. Because I mean, I've been to record shows where like, you know, th- I mean, like there's kind of aggressive, like almost like that, you know, it's kind of like a revenge of the nerds movie. You know, you got your, you got your alpha betas and you got your lambda, lambda, lambdas, you know, you got the, the, the preppy jock guys, the cool guys, and then you got the nerds, you know, and records are very much like that. You got, you know, kind of guys that are like, have that mentality of like, you know, they're like, they're tough and they're, you know, they're, they're manly. And then you have the like real gentle nerdy guys, you know, that <laughs> like don't care about things except for records, you know? I'm always fascinated with the individuals too, because you're, you know, as a storyteller, I'm always trying to read people and try to examine like the elements and how people dress themselves and how they try to represent represent themselves in the public, uh, based upon how they're, you know, they actually are. And 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 with record stores, it's always incredibly fascinating to me because you can see an individual that looks a certain way that you would make assumptions of. And then you look at what they're holding and it's like, that guy's got Madonna in his hands and that guy's got this in his hands. Like fascinating. Like what is the history behind that? And why is he in love with these albums that I never would have assumed that he was in love with these albums for, you know? Yeah. Well, again, it's, it goes back to that whole, like, it's okay to like everything now, you know, Mm. whereas like before, if somebody, look like they wouldn't like madonna they would have to be secretive about it you know <laughs> yeah totally so, so yeah now it's like any i mean yeah it's like i i see it by working in a record store you know i see you know like sometimes someone will come in that you 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 know of course like you're like oh that person looks like they would like heavy metal so and then they're like buying like folk music you know (laughs) you really just can't like these days you can't judge a book by their cut by its cover you know like because everybody likes everything and you know and people also are just open to exploring a lot more and you know in different moods and but yeah definitely you know i mean there's this guy that comes into the store and he's super i mean he wears metal t-shirts got super long hair all black i've never seen him buy a metal record at the store you know, I mean, closest he'll get is like a '70s rock record. But he, I've never once seen him buy a metal record. He always buys like, kind of like electronic, like like '70s and '80s like ambient like synthesizer stuff. Yeah, yep. always yeah. wearing like some crazy black metal shirt, like where you can't tell what the band's name is because you know it just looks like all scribbly. And <laughs> totally, again, he doesn't buy any metal records when he comes into the store, and we have them. We have metal records. He just doesn't buy them. I love it, man. I think it's so cool because, you know, back when I used to manage, uh, you know, a record store, oh, man, when was this? It was like 96 or something like that. You could see the different cultures coming in and like you'd have the metal kids come in and they'd go in the metal section. And if you saw a kid from the metal section in the pop section, it's like, what's he stealing over there? <laughs> why, is he, why is he in that area? <laughs> You know? or, like, or like who is he buying something for his sister or like a gift or something yeah he's ashamed <laughs> walks up to the counter and just puts his head down and slides it across uh i loved it man i love the whole the whole vibe of being like getting a job as a kid as a teenager in a record store was like almost like being a rock star and like the process of getting hired there was a hard process you know i remember 
I went and I talked to the manager at the, at the shop and he's like, come back in a year, <laughs> you know? And, and to get into like Newberry Comics, because I was from the East Coast, so to get into like Newberry Comics was like a huge waiting list to be an employee at Newberry Comics. It was like the coolest fucking job in the world. Um, and, you know, that, that kind of has gone away, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked for Tower Records, several of them. Yeah. Uh, like Hollywood, uh, Laguna, like Laguna Hills by Laguna Beach and, and also Greenwich Village in New York City. And um, yeah, it was hard to get hired at Tower. Like you had to be like, like they didn't just, it was almost like they weren't so much looking for a good worker but someone who makes the store look cool. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and like, you're like, okay, yeah, this, this person makes people want to come in here, you know? And, and it was all about like, you had to be cool to work in a record store, which I, I don't think it's like that anymore. You know, like I, I don't think that matters as much. It's, I mean, you definitely, one thing people need is they need a lot of music knowledge. Like, I mean, why would you want to go into a record store and say like, where's Steely Dan? And they're like, I don't know. How do I clean a record? And, Oh, I don't really know. You know, look it up on YouTube. Like that's not what you want to hear when you walk into a store. So I think nowadays what's most important is knowledge, you know? Yeah. I, I remember back in the day when I was doing it, we had a, a shop that was, you know, three floors and each floor had its specific genre. And our top floor was classical and classical. <laughs> Getting through the classical section was so complicated for me as a kid. And we had one guy on staff, this dude, Abe, who knew how to work the old Bible. Like he'd bring the Bible out and be like, what composition is it? And he'd yeah. like, anybody that would come in for classical music, it'd be like, come in on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Fridays and you'll be able to get Abe. And so yeah. people would just specifically come for him. Yeah, I remember at Tower Records and the one in Laguna, um, we had a, the normal store and then we had a separate room that was like soundproofed and like you had to go through glass doors to get into it and it was classical and it was so you didn't hear the, the music from the other store, you know, right, right. it was just other like, <laughs> like hardcore classical people and it was a huge room full of classical CDs and I mean, it was like I never even went in there. Like like once or twice I, did I ever walk in there, like even working there. Because it didn't seem like it was like, oh, classical, that's like way out of my league, you know, for music. Like, I don't Dude. understand. You know, <laughs> it's own room, you know? <laughs> totally. And the few times that I had to make, make my way through it, like I had someone come in and go, I'm looking for, you know, uh, this specific concert, this specific composer, this specific year. And I felt like I was speaking a different language and I'm just going through going, is it, is it this one? <laughs> like, I have no idea. Uh, the classical stuff was like way above me. Uh, and even still, I don't think I can go through a classical section and, and make my way through it, you know? You know? Like with records, there's classical records worth like thousands of dollars. But thing is, is you got to know what to look for. Because I mean, I would say it's like, I don't know the exact odds, but I'm going to like make a fake one up that's probably real it's like one in every five thousand classical records you come across is going to be like the really the thousand dollar plus one you know mm -hmm. so to go through like five thousand classical records to try to find the one it's like impossible you just like have to have so much knowledge of like which composer or which label and which year that it came out because they had a different symphony on this year and you know like it's just there's so much info that it's like one of the hardest genres of like records to like master the knowledge of you know yeah. i know like a few things to look for but it's still like i've never come across one of the crazy rare ones in 
and I've come across tens of thousands of classical records in my day, you know, (laughs) I kind of give up. I just like, I know there's been times I've walked in, I've gone in a thrift store and passed like an expensive classical record. And it's just, I don't have the brain capacity to take in all that knowledge. (laughs) Well, I'm surprised that you have the brain capacity. It always blows my mind when I, when I talk to somebody who has listened to so much music and they retain so much of this knowledge for music. And it's such a, it's such a fascinating thing on how much we're able to retain. Like, what do you what do you think your strongest suits are as far as genres are concerned uh, with music knowledge? I mean, I'm pretty well rounded. Uh, that's a problem with a lot of record stores, and you know, this isn't like talking crap. This is just like a fact. Like sometimes some record stores tend to kind of specialize in certain things, like mm-hmm. that they like or that they know really well, and they kind of neglect other genres because they just don't know it. And again, like kind of like with me with classical, they don't want to take the time to learn and, or they just don't know what to look for. So they don't mess with it. Like sometimes we get record, like, I mean, there was a record store that someone took records to sell to them and it was a bunch of like weird eighties, like synth pop stuff. And the guy didn't know any of it. So he didn't even want to buy it. And like they brought it to me and I knew some of it. I, I mean, I probably knew like 60% of it, but I w- he, the person said, yeah, I took this over to this store and the guy just turned it away because he didn't know what any of it was. And to me, I'm like, if I don't know what it is, like I definitely want to buy it because I want to find out what it is. So I know for the future, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. my, I don't really, I wouldn't say I have like a specific genre that I know a lot about. I kind of know a lot about every genre. And the main reason is because I need to know what sells, you know, I need to know what people like. I need to know, I don't want to be that record store where like, oh, well, they're only good for rock or they're only good for soul or they're only good for hip hop. Like I want to be that record store that we're kind of good for everyone, you know, like everyone can find something they like, you know, and my, but I will tell you my, probably my weakest genre is like electronic music from, you know, like nineties to present, like, you know, like things like techno and house and EDM and like, Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, uh, all that kind of music, like anything that would be at like electric Daisy carnival, you know, like, I don't know anything <laughs> about that. music. And it's just too hard to keep up because everything's like flavor of the week, you know? Yeah. Like a record will be cool for like a month. And then like, they're already like, they don't care about it anymore. And that's the thing with another reason why I don't dive deep into learning electronic music is because the records don't actually sell that well. Um, because most people into electronic music just stream it. Yeah, and a lot of those DJs are just doing CD, CDJs, and laptops and stuff like that. So it's not like they're buying the records to play them, you know. Like, so it's one of those genres. I'm just like, okay, that's that's where I'm really weak on. But everything else, I know everything: country, you know, hip hop, soul, jazz, rock, folk, surf music, new wave. um, Hell yeah soundtracks like i'm pretty good with soundtracks like i'm good with knowing what kids records sell you know um comedy records like everything like i just kind of you kind of have to know everything when you're running a store well it's it's pretty crazy man when you think about it and the amount of knowledge that you need to have or just an understanding or just to have had heard one of the tracks it's like fuck there's so much to listen to out there and i you know the other thing that kind of blows my mind is that unlike when I was working in music stores where like every week a truck would show up and they'd unload inventory, like you guys have to like 
do hard. It's almost like being an archaeologist. You have to hunt for collections and hunt for inventory and yeah. buy large collections from people, right? Sometimes I tell people, I'm like, I don't do the thrift stores and antique stores and yard sales that much anymore just because like this day and age, 2021, like they're few and far between as far as finding good stuff. Um, and plus people got back into records. So people are getting less people are getting rid of them or, or like when someone's like dad is like mom and dad are giving away the, like, don't want the records. A lot of times, like it used to be the kids would take them and then like, cool, I could sell these to the record store and get money. Now, now <laughs> the kids are like, cool, I can keep these, you know? <laughs> and so we're getting less of, you know, it's getting harder to get collections and less people are walking in selling records. It's usually like, like when people need money that they're selling their records um and, the, and they they're like really sad to sell them it's not like they're just wanting to get rid of them um but in the days when i was like really out there looking at like sometimes i'd spend all day driving around like spend like 20 bucks in gas and all day like eight hours going to thrift stores all over and i'd come back with like three records that i'm gonna sell for like five bucks a piece so actually it was like a loss you know yeah yeah, yeah. You're buying that duran duran record for five bucks that literally took me all day to find, you know? Yeah. And, and people don't really think about that, you know, like what we go through to like actually get these records for you, you know? And like, same with, with the documentary records for It's like, I'm traveling all over the U S to get these records for the Coachella record store. I'm going all over the place. We're having to spend money on gas. We're having to spend money on, you know, rental car. We're having to spend money on hotels, like all this comes into like 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 just for us to bring this amazing store to you and like the store doesn't like really make money it, it just pretty much breaks even or like makes a little tiny bit but it's not my my uh, boss the founder of Coachella he he's not um, interested in making money off the record store he just wants it there to be cool like something for people to do also mm -hmm. catch a band you know playing you can come to the record store and see if we have it you know their record. Cause we, we do try to have a, like, you know, we have the bands that are playing Coachella like section. So if we, some, sometimes some bands don't have their music on record, so we don't have them, but if they do, you know, we might have like 10 copies and um, people will be like, yeah, I just saw this band. Like they were so great. Do you have their album? Yep. Here you go. And then they, they go and buy it. And so that's kind of why the record store is there, you know, just, just for some, also let's say there's no one playing that you like. Go to the record store to kill some time and it's an ac you know so <laughs> of course yeah like we we definitely go through a lot to get records at, at the store and at coachella i mean it's it is a hunt it is art it is digging up things it is talking to people i think the last weird collection i got was uh i was in it was, it was the last time i was on the road and i where was i um, I was in Buffalo, New York mm -hmm. and I'm in Whole Foods, like just buying some, you know, food and the person in front of me, this was like right after, this was in June of 2020. So it was kind of when COVID was kind of like getting better and everyone was like, okay, it's summertime. It's likely that the virus is going to go away. And, mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. I felt like, yeah, I think it's okay to travel, um, and I'll be safe, wear a mask and not see friends on the road, just go to the stores and go to the hotel and, uh, you know, not, not like meet up with anyone or anything. And right. so I was just like in this grocery store in Buffalo, New York. And the lady was talking about how you can't travel anywhere during COVID. 
and she's like, yeah, you can't drive anywhere. And I was like, no, no, I kind of like interrupted. I was like, that's not, she, she was in front of me in line. And I was like, that's not true. I drove here from Los Angeles. You can drive anywhere you want. It's, <laughs> it's the flying part that like, they don't let you do. They don't let you fly in or you got to quarantine if you fly in, but you can drive wherever you want. And then she was like, you drove here all the way from Los Angeles. Like why? And I was like, Oh, I'm just traveling, buying records. And then she was like, like old records. And I said, yeah, vinyl records. And she said, my, I was just talking to my neighbor. Her husband passed away last year or last month. And she doesn't know what to do with his record collection. Wow. And, and like, let me, take down your phone number and I'll give it to her. And then the next day the lady called me and said, come over and look at his records. And so <laughs> I went, I got some cool records. It was all, it was a jazz collection and I got some cool, pretty cool jazz. And, you know, and I, and like, you know, I paid the lady fair and, you know, I, and she told me, Oh, that was way more than I, I took some of these down to the store and that was way more than they offered me. And, you know, and, and it was just like, she was happy to like, cause she didn't sell them to the store. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she was happy and I was happy and that was a really bizarre way to get into a record collection was by <laughs> listening to someone talk about how they can't travel while in line at Whole Foods, you know? <laughs> and had I never said anything to her, like had I just mind my business, like I wouldn't have had that record collection. <laughs> I sometimes I think about your job being I'm not going to be able to remember the movie, but there was that Johnny Depp movie where he was a uh, book collector and he was traveling around. And so I wonder, like, do you ever get into like really weird collection spaces with like a desperate collector that's like, I need the cash, but they hate to see the albums go. And then you're in there haggling. Like, is there any crazy, (laughs) crazy stories like that? Yeah. I mean, I've done, I've had it all. Like I've been in, I've seen people cry getting rid of their records. I've, I've, you know, had people like for one time I bought 5,000 records off of this guy who was wow. trying to move to Costa Rica and that's why he was selling his record collection. And then he, he was in his like fifties and he just had the record collection since he was a teen, you know, like he bought from all the way from 18, you know, his teens to like maybe his forties. Yeah. He sold them all to me. And then he started like a few days later having remorse. And so then he asked if he could come and pull some back. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. Even though I had already paid him. And I was like, we'll just figure out how much you have to give me back. He ended up spending a month and a half coming. He lived in Malibu and he would drive out to Pomona every single day going through his records. And he took pictures of every single one of them. And he tried to listen to them on YouTube and he ended up taking half the collection back. And it kind of sucked because he took a lot of the good ones back, left me with kind of a lot of not so great ones. And it was really frustrating. And most of my friends that run stores were like, I would have never let that happen. I would have told that guy, like, you know, go F yourself, you know, (laughs) like, and I let him do it. And I mean, like, he literally took back over 2000 records. And that was pretty bizarre. Oh, man. seeing him every single day like it's like it almost like he was an employee you know know, hey man you know like just like you would greet your coworker every day you know hey what's up oh cool shirt you know (laughs) (laughs) so that's happened i've been in situations where people got mad at me i I had a situation where a guy locked me in his house because i didn't want to buy any of his records because they were all beat up and he told me if i didn't give him money he'd you know like basically like it'd be in my best interest to give him money and i luckily i totally lied i was like yeah you know uh 
just FYI, I tell my girlfriend every single address I go to when I make these house calls and she knows exactly where I am. <laughs> so if anything happens to me, she knows the house I'm at. And then the guy unlocked the door and opened it and let me walk out. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I thought to say that. <laughs> you know? It's a lie. I didn't tell my girlfriend where I was. Like, I didn't give her like, hey, I'm going to this record collection at this address. I never did that, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've been in weird situations, you know, for sure. Yeah, I've, I've been in situations where like the one of the people, it's like a husband and wife. And whether it's the husband or the wife, one of them's like, extremely excited that they're going and the other one's like super devastated that they're going you know <laughs> i did it's got to be so that's the coolest part of your gig i think is that you get to meet all these interesting individuals and they are wearing their emotions on their sleeve when they show you an album or show you a collection correct yeah totally i mean sometimes a lot of people can remember where they got certain records you know and they'll tell me and you know after a while i mean i'm, I'm not i'm going to be realistic after a while like a lot of those stories, it's like, yeah, I've heard the story, but yeah, you, you used to go to the record store and you used to like, you know, but everyone, and they're fine to listen to those stories, but I've heard them like a zillion times, but every once in a while someone has like a really bizarre story of how they got a record. And that's where it kind of makes it like, oh, cool. This is always never getting old because there's always that weird twist, you know, of like a really strange way someone got a record, you know? So I'm glad that they are constantly telling me things like that, you know? Cause, but then one thing about me is I always get told that like people enjoy selling to me because I will talk to them and I will listen. And I, I hear a lot of other, you know, record dealers are very impersonal and they don't mm -hmm. want to talk about stuff and they just want to get in and out and, you know, they keep it real short. And, you know, I, I had this thing where I worked pest control for four years and I used to have to go into people's homes. And one of the things that our company was really big about was like, make sure you talk to the people, you know, like make them feel comfortable while you're in there. Like, don't just go in there and be quiet and then leave, you know, just like, unless they give you the vibe that they don't want to talk. Mm -hmm. But you know, I would always have to be like, Oh, cool. So I see your grandkids play baseball, huh? Like, wow, cool. Like, you know, and, and like, <laughs> I would talk about random, I'd like pick something out of their house. Like, Oh, you collect China, like, like, you know, China plates. Oh, how, what's your oldest plate, you know? And so I kind of, help me with record collecting you know like buying record collections because like you know i i've gotten my way into some crazy collections because i was like talk to them about things other than records like you yeah. know yeah, like yeah. Uh, i don't i don't know anything about football i don't really I, I don't dislike football i just don't watch it or most sports i don't i don't watch any sports but uh i was trying to look at some boxes at a store that they had just got in and i was like oh is it cool if i look through these boxes and the guy's like no 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 we haven't like looked at those yet and i was like oh okay no worries you know like toy was fine with that mm -hmm. and i was like the guy was wearing like a pittsburgh Steelers shirt and i was like i was like so how are the pittsburgh Steelers doing this season i have no idea what i'm talking about and he's like, oh well actually we, we just won the game last night i didn't even know there was a game the night before like you know and it's like yeah, and I was like, oh, what was the score? And I'm like, oh, dang, awesome. And then he was like, you know what? Go ahead and look through those boxes. <laughs> and I mean, that was like a way that I was, you know, I, I think that's one of my secrets, which if any record collectors are out there listening, that's a way to get records. Just be nice to people, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I love how that's a coveted secret too, where it's like, don't be an asshole. It's like, yeah. okay, you know? You, know, you put a little effort into things, like you, it goes a long way, you know? Like talking to people. Sometimes people just want to be heard, you know? Yeah. And, you know, like 
and and sometimes you get really cool information out of the people or really cool uh stories or sometimes they say you know what that guy was really nice anytime i hear about a record collection i'm gonna call him and or tell my friend whoever's got the collection to call this person because they're nice and you know so that, that, that that's a uh, that's a lesson right there. Just be nice and things work out, <laughs> you know, people and- it's so funny that we have to say that it's so, it's so funny that we have to say that out loud because it's true. A lot of people don't, and it's the same thing in the film industry. And you heard me talk about this a hundred times on the show. Like it's about being social. It's about being a listener and finding a situation in which you don't say anything you just listen to a person and you'd be surprised at how fast you can connect with somebody if you just listen to what they have to say yeah and i mean i think you know i think if when especially with buying a record collection if you talk to them about their record collection and just about their life in general like oh so where were you buying these records oh you grew up in that oh did you ever go to this place that's like famous? Like it just shows that you're, you know, you know, they, they, I think it makes them feel easier about letting go of their records because they felt like they're going to someone who appreciates like the story behind the records, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rather than just like, Hey, I don't have a lot of time. Like, oh, this is how much I'll offer you for everything. I got to go, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, and, and yeah, I think like that's an art we've lost in modern society is like talking to each other. You know, mm-hmm. especially because of like text messaging and social media. It's like, you know, like, you know how like there's all those memes about like when you get the phone call, you're just like, why the F is this person calling me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, just text me, you know, and we definitely have like, I don't think kids know. I used to, dude, I had my record was like 12 hours on the phone with never getting off of it. Like talking to like some girl, like when <laughs> I was in high school, you know, like yeah, 12 yeah. hours straight on the phone. Yeah. You know? Yeah, your your head would be buzzing. You know, it would be yeah. your ear would be hot from the actual receiver. Yeah, I mean, I remember like I'd be like, "Hey, hold on, real fast, I gotta go to the bathroom." You know, <laughs> go to the bathroom, come back, and start talking again. You know, and I what I used to do is I'd be like, I was like trying to be cheesy and cute, and I'd, uh, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go run to the restroom or go get something, some food or something." Like I'm gonna put you on hold, and I'd put the phone down, and then t- I had a little radio, and I turned the radio on, so they had like call waiting music. that's awesome (laughs) that's fantastic but you do that at the end of the day it's to go back to what you said about them feeling comfortable selling it to you because you're listening to their stories that's what you're buying and when at least with me when i'm buying a, a song or i'm listening to a song i'm not just picking up a piece of plastic you know what i mean i'm not just buying a piece of vinyl I'm actually buying the history that comes with it. And the history could be coming from the band's history and how they put this thing together, or it could be coming from the person that collected it and introduced it to me and their history, you know? Sometimes when people buy records, if I remember, like if it's got a unique story behind how I found it, I'll like, let's say you were buying a record from me, I'd be like, oh, that record right there, I got it from this person and I tell their story. So their story keeps going on. And then they might tell someone else how like the story of the record you know uh mm-hmm. so, so totally mm-hmm. like well, i like when they share their stories because then i can reshare their story to the person that now is going to own the record you know well it reminds me of that bit that i saw in the movie where you talk about you have a you have a like a one-of-a-kind vinyl like a very specific uh, like original pressing that no one else in the world has right 
Yeah, so it was an acetate, which acetates were made mainly, um, they're, they're like one-off records. And so sometimes, they, you know, you'd go in and you could make a, in like old Wal- Woolworths um, and Sears and stuff like that. You could go in and like cut an acetate that just, you go into these booths and you could just say, Merry Christmas, Grandma, or Happy Thanksgiving. Wish we could be there. We miss you. And then they <laughs> cut the acetate and you send it to them in the mail and then they could play it on their record player and they hear their voice, you know, cause it wasn't like, you know, long distance calling was like expensive and stuff like that. Um, and sometimes people would cut music on acetates, but also like a lot of bands would use acetates as like, let's make one per member. So we have it. And also let's make one to take around to record companies and stuff like that. And, you know, you'd, you'd go into the record company and put your acetate on the record player for the person working there. And they would tell you, Oh yeah, I love it let's sign up a contract or yeah, not, not interested, you know? <laughs> and so a lot of artists made acetates that like, maybe they only made a few of, you know, or one. And the one particular one you're talking about in the movie, like the lady just made the one to take around to, um, record companies and she, no, but no record company liked her music. Uh, she sounded very much like very similar to like, you know, Joni Mitchell type of female folk singer, but like a little more haunting sounding, a little darker sounding, mm-hmm. um, a little sadder sounding than Joni. And Joni can get pretty sad, but um, no one liked her music at the time. And you got to remember, there's like, th- like that must like being a female folk singer must have been like a dime a dozen. In yeah. The 60s, totally. You know? So, you know, they, they didn't, nobody was interested and she got her feelings hurt and she decided she didn't want to do music. She gave the, her manager at the time, the, the acetate, the one record and her guitar and just said, she's done with music and she, that's it. And then I bought the acetate maybe this, the acetate was like in like, I think if I remember correctly, 67 when she was doing that and they were shopping around labels in LA and I bought the record maybe like 2000 seven or eight from the guy wow and he had held on to it all those years and he doesn't remember how where she is or you know she he he hadn't talked to her since 1967 so he doesn't know where she is and i tried to find her and i i couldn't like you know i looked up her name and like all over the place and who knows she might have got like married and changed her name she might be you know she might be dead like (laughs) i i just couldn't find her and so yeah I, i like it's a one of a kind record and it's probably my most prized record just because I do love it. And it is the only one in the world, you know, technically there's two, I have to do say there's two, I bought two acetates. They cut one with two songs and then they cut another one with four songs. And I, and the two, the one with two songs is on the one with four songs. Yeah. Like one just basically has two extra songs and I did sell the one that has two songs to someone. And then I kept the one with the four songs. So someone else, which I know the person is just a collector and he's not doing anything with it, but keeping it, he has two songs and I have four songs, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> uh, so I'm the only one in the world that has the one with the four songs and he's the, and he's the only one in the world other than me that has two of the songs. <laughs> it's a, it's a great story and and talk talk about being fortunate because that could have ended up in a bin somewhere that you know you wouldn't have had any information on you wouldn't have known any of that stuff but to be able to buy it from the manager and get that history and get that story behind it 
Yeah. And now you're passing that on to uh, the listeners of this show, but also to the people that uh, we're going to see the movie. Yeah. It's such a really cool fucking, it's such a cool thing, man. My thing is like, I, I'd like to release it so people can enjoy it. And, you know, there's that whole thing where you can get around like not finding the person and you have to put like all these like legal things. Like if you are the person and you can prove that you're this person, uh, please reach out to us for royalties and whatever. So th- there's that's how like a lot of reissue labels can get away with re- releasing stuff when they can't find the person, but they have the music, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but my thing is, I know she didn't like she wanted out of the music industry. And she was so hurt by it that I felt like if what if I released it and somehow it made its way to her and then she it brought back all kinds of bad memories and like something that traumatized her. Like, I don't want to be that Mm -hmm. guy that like reminds her that she had a failed music career, you know, and that's the only reason why I've never tried to like release it or or that's why I keep it kind of like hidden, you know, because that's kind of what she wanted, you know, (laughs) so. Yeah, yeah. Dude, it's amazing. It's a really great story. And the movie's fantastic. Bring it back to the film. Real quick, back to the I think that, yeah. Mike, real quick, back to that estate. That's why I don't say who it is in the movie. I don't say her name because I I, I respect that she didn't, she wanted to be out of the music industry, you know? So, okay. Yep. Dude, totally. And that's what I love about this film. And this film has so many of these little moments in it that I thought were really great. And honestly, man, like a lot of people will write to me and say, I've got a, I was in a movie or I made a movie and they'll send me stuff. Uh, this film I was in a hundred percent the whole time. And so I thought it was uh, really well done. I thought you came off fantastic in it. The uh, sense of adventure, the sense of discovery, the modern day sort of like archeologist <laughs> sort of digging through shit. Uh, I thought it was really fucking great, man. Uh, and I hope Hope, hope it gets out of whatever holdup that it's in so that the general public can see it. Um, and if you guys are lucky enough to get your hands on a DVD, uh, you're in for a treat. I know there's some DVDs available on eBay. Like, you know, because like sometimes someone will ask me, like, how do I get one? And I'll go and look on eBay and I'll see like they're selling them, you know, like re- retail price. Like, not it's not like they're selling them for like markup. Or some people like bought it and are selling it used because like they're, maybe they, they don't collect DVDs, but they just wanted to watch the movie, you know? Um, and so it's definitely available on eBay. You can probably snag a DVD and yeah, I, I think the company that bought it, they only own it for a year. So I think like sometime after October, we're able to do whatever we want with it. So I think at that point, like, I don't know, maybe we'll just, you know, there's that thing you could put stuff on Amazon for basically nothing you know, yeah. we're basically like exposure. Like we'll probably just do that, you know, just so it can be seen because we want it to be seen. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Dude. yeah. So the company that bought it only owns it for until October of 21. So it will eventually surface if they don't surface it, you know? Yeah. Well, right now it's that punk rock album that no one can get their hands on. So yeah, <laughs> it's really great. It's, it's really great. Edition. I'm really surprised someone hasn't like booted it on the internet, like made a torrent or something or like, you know, I don't know if that even, I'm (laughs) not like into like technology. So I don't know what people use these days, but I'm like pretty surprised no one's like tried to put it up on YouTube for free or something, you know? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. It's a good thing that no one has done. (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm surprised you guys haven't stolen my movie. No, it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I just was like, you know, I was telling the director, I was like, you know, if they don't eventually put it out, someone else is just going to do it on their own, you know, like put it, make it available somehow, you know? And, you know, of course he was like, whoa, I mean, like if they do, we'd have to flag it, you know, and get it taken down because copyright and stuff like that, you know? So maybe, maybe nowadays people are smarter about not putting copyrighted material up or something. I don't know. You know? Yeah, maybe. I think they're just a little bit lazier too, which is to, to your advantage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dude, this has been a great conversation. This has been fantastic. I'm super excited to have you on the show and um, I hope that you guys listening sort of get just a taste of our love for the physical uh, medium for music and vinyl is such a, such a great thing. And I, I just want to make sure that those of you listening aren't listening to like two older dudes and being like, well, these guys are just older dudes and they love this stuff. It's, it's like I said, it's not about the physical plastic to me, at least it's about that experience. It's about sharing. It's about, it's the same thing as going over to someone's house and having them cook you a meal. Like if you go over to someone's place and you have a couple beers and you sit down and they play you some music, especially music that you've never heard before. That's a fucking treat. It's, it's such a treat and it's such an enjoyable thing. Um, and it's something that I am consistently trying to put myself into that situation with because not only are you listening to a track that you might think is cool and that you might want to listen to again, but then you're also having that shared experience that every time you listen to that song from that point on, it's like what you said about the Rolling Stones and your girlfriend, like that's a timestamp for you. You wouldn't have listened to that stuff if you weren't trapped in the car with your girlfriend. But now I'm sure when you listen to those albums, you probably go back and think about that stuff, you know? Totally. I mean, I definitely think music is a great way to connect memories, you know, um, even if they're sad, like, you know, sometimes like, like I hear some people say, oh, I can never listen to that song again because it reminds me of like an ex, you know, ex girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, nah, I mean, if anything, that song reminds me about a time in my life, even if it was kind of a crappy situation or relationship or ended badly or whatever, like it's still takes me back to like oh yeah a memory you know like or or maybe the song was a good part of that relationship like we were enjoying a day you know and takes you back to like oh that was a fun day you know (laughs) definitely music is a good timestamp for remembering like life and you know where you were or what you were doing or how you heard it or you know like who showed it to you and that's what's really special about music and and music i like i this is like what I always say is music brings people together, you know? And again, sometimes different walks of life that you would not normally, you know, hang out with someone, you, you now hang out with them because of music, you know, or, or again, like someone comes into the store and maybe I don't hang out with them outside of the store, but they're my friend while they're, you know, we're friends because we're talking to each other for like 30 minutes in the store, you know, and they're going to come back to the store next week. So that's my friend and music made that person my friend you know? Dude, it's great. And I look, I have to wrap it up because we've been going for uh, quite some time and I'm pumped about everything that we've talked about on the show. And I'm, uh, I'm happy to know you, man. And and I was happy to see your film. uh, And I can't wait for our uh, listeners to actually see your movie. But in the meantime, we'll share any links, like definitely follow Alex and definitely follow the record store because you'll see 
like these days you guys are posting a lot of your finds up there because the store is going to make money during COVID. So you actually get to see a lot of these artifacts that he's been digging up and finding and, and putting out there. And it's, I've been following you on Instagram for the past few weeks with that and just being like, Oh, that fucking album's great. I'd love to get that album. <laughs> a lot of people who follow the glass house record store have told me they don't even buy records. They follow us for music suggestions because you know, we're always posting stuff. So yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of like a way to learn, oh, the, well, that looks cool. I'll go look it up on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, you know? Like, so, uh, so I mean, that's cool too, because it's like also a way to like show people music, you know, even if they're not buying it as on a record, you know? Yeah, t dude, totally. It comes back to that curation, man. It comes back to that thing. And and uh, I've talked about it in other episodes and I think I sent you the links. Uh, Scorsese was just talking about it with movies. There's something powerful about having a curated list and uh, you know being able to either have a friend that suggests great stuff to you or being someone that suggests great stuff to uh, the generation coming up underneath because a lot of this stuff would be forgotten and if we weren't relying upon you know the bigger industries to sort of keep this stuff current then you know no one would know shit about stuff I don't know how many kids are like I don't want to watch uh, an old John Ford movie because it's in fucking black and white. It's like, dude, get over that and watch it with me in black and white. Come on over here. We'll have some food and we'll do it. You're going to love this fucking movie. And sometimes that's what it takes. Uh, I, I've been going through uh, that list, uh, Tarantino and uh, Edgar Wright's list, that I'm watching these old Hammer films that I never would have watched if they weren't suggested in such a, a beautiful way by those two directors. So there's power to that, man. You know? I 100% agree. So that's the episode. What did you guys think? Uh, surprisingly, it got really heartfelt for me, you know, and hearing these stories and hearing the interaction that Alex had with these people. If, if I wasn't already really sort of crushing on vinyl and crushing on this medium, I feel like I'm like trifled at this point. I can't, I can't wait. I'm, I'm actually going to set up an appointment and get down and hang out at his shop, which I'm very excited about. And like I said, Go follow Alex's account. I'll put his Instagram account underneath. We're going to have a trailer for the movie underneath. Definitely follow the movie's website so that you know when the film comes out. It's called Record Safari once again. You guys are going to fucking love it. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. Um, and go follow his curation at Glasshouse Records on Instagram. Uh, he, like, dude, we had trouble booking this episode. He was supposed to do it a couple weeks ago. Uh, but the day of, he just got a call randomly from a collection. He's like, I gotta go, I gotta go fucking shop at this collection. Same thing happened today. I was supposed to do this earlier this morning. And he called me up because I just got another call from this collection. I gotta go grab this stuff. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating that these people are inviting him into their homes and, and showing their history, showing their family history, showing their love for these albums. And it's, it's heartbreaking that a lot of folks have to sell this stuff because, you know, we're in a tough time financially right now. So... He gets to find the stuff, listen to these stories, pass these stories on, and he's showing all these albums and vinyls on the Instagram account because they have, it's the only way they can sell this stuff. But the thing that's so interesting to me is understanding that, like today's post, he went and, and, and bought all this stuff from one curator. So a lot of these albums that are showing up are coming from one collection, which is interesting. 
So when you see them post in like big chunks, that's somebody's collection of stuff. Like today's post, and I'm, I'm recording this ahead of time. I don't know when this episode is going to come out, but today's was a bunch of the Metallica stuff, like original Metallica pressings were up there. I was like, that's fucking cool, you know? So check it out. And I, don't, I can't say this enough. I don't want to come off like that guy that's like back in our day. I don't think the shit back in my day is better than it is today. I'm just going to go on the record and say that. I just don't. I know that growing up as a Gen Xer, we're like in between the baby boomers and the rest of you guys. And so like oftentimes it just doesn't feel like we're heard and we're sort of looking around going like, what the fuck is going on? But that's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to explain to you guys that there's something missing. And I don't want you guys to have a, a, a lesser experience than I did with films and with music. There's, there's magic there. And I'm not trying to convert you to be the guy that's like, I told you I'm right. I'm just trying to like expose you to something that an app can't expose you to, that an algorithm can't expose you to. And yes, you guys are great at getting together. You guys are great at communicating. And the internet does really fantastic, has fantastic ways of doing so, like Discord accounts and watching movies together online. And there's like, shared movie. I don't know if that still exists on Netflix, but I know they were doing the whole watch a movie with your friends kind of thing. That stuff is fantastic. There are video games that people are pumped about and they get to build worlds and they get to hang out with folks. All that stuff's really cool. It's just being someone that has also tried those things out, at the end of the day, it still feels a little lonely. Why does it still feel lonely? And why doesn't it feel as genuine and exciting as as it did when I, when I was growing up. And is that just nostalgia? And I don't fucking think it is, man. I think it really comes down to the excitement of people hanging out. I know this for a fact because when I hang out with younger folks and I'm showing them movies or I bring them over and we listen to music or I feed them and I, I feed them a meal and they go, this was a really fucking great time. They go, don't forget that. That's what all this is about. Artists that are telling stories and sharing emotions with you. Collectors that are gathering experiences and sharing those experiences with you. The power of a curated thing. That's all I'm saying, man. That's all that this is about. And I know I'm a, I'm a half idiot with how I say things. And like I've said on the show before, I feel like a 15 year old that found his dad's gun every time I speak into this microphone because my brain can't keep up with my mouth. And I just want to make sure that I'm not phrasing it the wrong way. I don't want to turn you guys off to this and have you guys listening going, he's just an old guy that likes his shit. I don't, I want to, exp- I want you to experience this stuff the way that I experienced it. Why? Because I feel good about it. I feel good sharing this with you. Anyway, that's it. It's the end of my rant. I'm exhausted. I've held the house hostage long enough. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Thank you, Liam, for doing the hard work to uh, clean this one up. And I will see you all next Tuesday. It's that time, everybody. Uh, It's time to talk about movies. And who better to do it with than my good buddy Alex Johnson on a segment that we like to call here on the show, Have You Seen Anything New Lately?
Hey, Alex, what's happening, man? Uh, not a lot. Um, I actually am con because I recently watched a movie that is was directed by and stars um, uh, one of your well-known most oh, most favoritist actors and oh, I guess directors, God. Bill Paxton. Oh, why did I answer uh, the fucking phone? Why did I answer the call? <laughs> why? Everyone knows by now. Anyone anyone who knows Mike knows that he has he, it's like a subconscious thing. It's I don't think he can even articulate it. I think I've heard him try and it, it's it's still confusing. He's got he's got a, a bugbear about uh bug about Bill Paxton. I think it's because of the characters he tends to play, correct? Like he, he plays a lot of scumbags. And I wish and you, I, I wish that was what it was, but can, yeah, keep going. All right. Okay. I thought that's I thought you had said that at one point, but I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um anyway, he, he in uh, I think it was two thousand one the movie came out. It's called this movie is called Frailty. Oh. And it's uh it's a movie that he he hasn't he didn't I checked, he didn't he hasn't directed a lot of movies. Uh but he did direct this one, and he starred in it. And it's about, uh, and it does. It also stars Matthew McConaughey. Uh huh. Um, you know, and some other dudes and ladies and stuff, whatever. And uh, <laughs> and McConaughey, he's basically he goes to like a. He's talking to the sheriff. Uh, he go. He, and the sheriff is played by the guy who ran the casino. In Deadwood. Oh, Powers Booth. Powers Booth. Yeah, didn't didn't he die too recently? I think so. Yeah. Is he still alive? Yeah. Oh, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> but uh, he was alive in 2001, and well, in 2000, presumably when they probably filmed it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you played a live a live dude in the movie, and um, nice. a live a cop, and the cop McConaughey comes in, and he's like, I'm start, I'm seeing like shades of like what would become Rust Call in True Detective Season 1, which mm-hmm. I talk about a lot because I really like it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, he wasn't, like, ripping his shirt off and, like, smoking weed and surfing or whatever. He was, like, pretty morose, pretty soft-spoken, <laughs> like like he'd seen some shit. But he recounts this story, his boyhood story of he and his brother, and the father was Bill Paxton. And he um, he's this dude who, after his wife dies he kind of he starts he thinks god's talking to him telling him that uh, giving him lists of names and he's saying these names are of people aren't really people they're demons and you and your two little boys have to kill all these people <laughs> uh <laughs> now, have you seen this movie no i have not seen this movie oh okay <laughs> well, yeah no I, I haven't i don't think you should watch it because it's um Got a guy. It's got Bill Paxton in it. And the director. And <laughs> I don't hate like him I that. said, you hate the guy. <laughs> not, not, He's also dead. He's also dead. Uh, not, not that much. God, I'm going to sound like such a fucking asshole. <laughs> I no. tried to give you an out earlier. I said it's because he did such a good job playing like neat, like kind of like <laughs> scummy characters, and you're like, no, that's not it. Yeah, <laughs> All right. I have, I have All right. He just lying. fucking hates his face. Then I don't know. <laughs> Uh-huh. I know you mean no disrespect. You you have just something in your head. <laughs> I've just never I've never met the guy. I'm sure he was like a really good no. dude. <laughs> yeah, it, we're talking like the. Obviously, this isn't personal. You know, Mike, you're not that famous, so you don't you didn't. Know yeah, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't sleep with my girlfriend or anything. But like, it's at the same token. <laughs> at the same token, is there a reason? Like he he directed this thing, so he sought this role out. 
to yeah. play a piece of shit and then direct uh-huh. this thing. And if you look at his catalog in which he's either playing a whiny piece of shit with a bunch of Marines mm-hmm. or he's on a series where he's banging how many girls uh, to be uh, crazy. Um, what's the term that I'm looking oh, for? Uh, Big Love, the the Mormon one. The Mormons, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, polygamy? Yeah, polygamy. polygamy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, is there a movie where he played someone decent? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't um, know. Uh, Twister was he? No, oh, no. He was the was he the shithead in Twister too? Yeah, he was kind of a douchebag in Twister too. He was always. Wait, wait, was he like the antagonist or was he the main guy? I can't remember. He was the main guy, but he was like, my ex-wife's yeah. kicking around, but my girlfriend's here at the same time. My girlfriend's looking at me kind of cute again, but my I drag her yeah, along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like he's a real fucking creep in that movie, and everybody's like. Well, <laughs> He ties himself to the girl from Mad About You in a fucking, you know, in a barn and the wind blows and they kiss each other and it makes it all better. It's like, yeah, he's kind so, of a so creep though. Do you, do you feel like he might be a Marilyn Manson type where it's, that's just what he, he, he actually really is the character he was playing? Like, a, <laughs> <laughs> like he, he did all this shit in real life. I feel, just, I feel like James it. Cameron was like, I need to find a Weasley punk for this Terminator scene. Oh, yeah. And like Bill Paxton was like saying something shitty to some like PA, another PIN set. And he was just like, ah, that guy, he's a good one. And then everything changed after that. Cause he, yeah, James Cameron loved that dude. Huh? I mean, he, then he put him in uh, Aliens was after that, right? Or yeah, Well, yeah, he was in... I'm trying to go through his list here. I think his best... <laughs> His best role for me was in Navy SEALs because I didn't know it was him. <laughs> <laughs> was Charlie Sheen in that one? Which movie was that? That Yeah, Navy SEALs is the classic with uh, Charlie Sheen and fucking uh, Michael Bean so, yeah. and, and Bill Paxton. So I'm sure that the cocaine on that set was out of control. And that was like late yeah. 80s for that movie. I think that's why in that movie, if I recall correctly, like they're supposed to be like they're you know special ops, black, uh, uh, what do you call them? Not black ops, uh, Navy SEALs. <laughs> it's, um, it's called, you know, it's it's called, called Navy SEALs. Seals. So they're, I think they're, I think they're what, like Green Beret, <laughs> Army <laughs> Rangers. Uh, and like, but they shoot from like the hip all the time, <laughs> and like the mo- they just like spray and pray from the hip. Yes, and yes. in my mind, and like, and like they're always shooting the little like underbarrel grenade launcher, which. <laughs> <laughs> and like it's like the 90s explosion where it's just like sparks and smoke and like a guy flipping out of it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. like a guy jumping off a little trampoline <laughs> yeah, um yeah, yeah you know when i first learned from like a realistic world war ii movie that when you blow people up their body like disintegrates yeah. instead of just like flying away like they got punched by a giant boxing glove yeah. i was like oh shit well yeah that makes sense i guess yeah, <laughs> I never thought, I'm used to like Goldeneye. Like, well, no one ever gets dismembered by explosions. It's relatively neat, <laughs> clean. <laughs> it's like no, they get fucking shattered. But anyway, what I was gonna say is, I think they shoot from the hip because if they were like raising up to like eye level in like tight angle shots, you'd see how fucking shaky their hands were <laughs> from like from like coming down from coke. <laughs> <laughs> the sound guy had set must have had so much trouble where he's just on the, the, the director comes over and goes what am i hearing in headphones he goes that's his cheek that's a teeth grinding that's it, teeth. Uh, yeah. it's real stressful being um martin sheen's son all right <laughs> you don't know yeah oh yeah um but yeah no he like you know to to break away from your thing here he what movie? I'm looking at his fucking list of movies because I'm defending yeah. myself here. Uh, no, no, I get it. 
fucking he's been a, he was in a bunch of short stuff before Terminator. Then he was in Terminator. Then, then he was in a Pat Benatar music video. Uh, are you are you sure you're defending yourself and not attacking Bill Paxton? No, you know, come on, man. <laughs> this feels like the best defense is a good offense against Bill Paxton, <laughs> who has passed away. So it's he has no way of defending himself. Yeah. Uh, no. Okay, look, uh, he was the douche. He was the douchebag in fucking Weird Science. He was uh-huh. a douchebag in Commando. He played an officer in Commando. He was the douchebag in Aliens. We're all gonna die, man. I hate that I know. Yeah. That. yeah. Uh, I, I, I've been dying to see near dark again, near dark is so hard to find cause it's not on a streaming service, but that was Catherine Bigelow who at the time was married to James Cameron. She did a oh, vampire. Bill got the gig. <laughs> exactly. So, so he's in that movie. Skip ahead a bunch of like bullshit background, extra stuff. Listen to me being an asshole. Did you know he was in, uh, in 2000, he was in WWE Smackdown. Really? <laughs> as himself <laughs> so i beg to differ that he only was in uh <laughs> shitty things for scumbags all right <laughs> uh, look 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 even in tombstone he played like the douchey brother he played morgan Earp. yeah fuck that guy god damn it i don't know why i hate him so much but i just did and he's, a, he's probably the greatest dude in the world. He's probably the nicest guy. I just never met him in real life, so I can only judge him based upon his work. And he always picks crappy characters. And I, It's like Rush. He, Bill Paxton is my Rush. I fucking hate Rush. Oh, uh, yeah, Bill I don't Paxton. like Rush either. It's the same one, thing. I, some, one time this, like, when I was in my 20s, this drunk, like, <laughs> dude in his late 30s was like, let me tell you about Rush. You're going to love it. He was drunk. We were at dinner. I didn't know the guy. And I was like, no, I, I know. I know about it. I, I, here's the thing. I, I hate it. I, that guy is not good. I mean, I'm sure like Neil Peart or whatever is good at drums, but he's not good enough for me to get over like the rest. Yeah. yeah, the singer. Right. The singer. Oh. It, it reminds me, you remember that band Coheed and Cambria from like the early yeah. 2000s? Or like, or like Sticks. I don't, I don't like the style. It's not for me. Even some like Led Zeppelin stuff with the falsetto. I'm just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I'm over it. <laughs> Use your real voice. Be authentic. <laughs> it's, it's totally true. They're using like the insecure teenage girl voice all the time. Is it really? Yeah. You know, like that voice. That's rushed. Yeah. It's like, why are you doing this? What is with the affectation? If, if like I knew that's what their voices really sounded like when they talked, they'd be like, oh, well, he's working with what he's got. I mean, it's not for me, but, you know, what am I to say? But it's not. I'm positive it's not their real voices. <laughs> Anyway, I hijacked your shit. So how was frailty? Yeah, frailty? All right. So I, I just have a couple. We can <laughs> waste a lot of time. So I'm just going to bang this out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it was it, from 2001, but very much a 90s style. I'm going to spoil it because it's, it's 2001. It's Bill Paxton, which if you're Mike, it means you're not going to watch it. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it like wasn't that whatever it was very much an aged (laughs) movie of its time of or perhaps five years prior to its time but it did that thing you know like in the 90s in the early 2000s i feel like they did there's a lot of like some of it had johnny depp in it or whatever but they'd have these like crime movies 
but there's an aspect of like Christian metaphysics to it where like there's either a demon or like a lost <laughs> seal that needs to be opened <laughs> or, or like it's like the movie pretends to be skeptical about it. But then at the end, it's like, oh, wait, it we are you were in a Christian world the whole time and all this shit is real. Right. That's what happened in this movie. So so what happens is that McConaughey is telling this sheriff from Deadwood who's also dead uh, <laughs> about, you know, he, he's given this story, right. And, and he's talking about he and his brother and, and like, you know, it's presented as if he's the older brother who is like the only sane person in this, this little family of a, a man and his two sons who are killing people. And he's the only one who doesn't buy all this shit. He's not religious, doesn't believe in God. Like two thirds of the movie, it, it becomes very clear. Like, well, even earlier for me, I guess I guess the spin the 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 twist, and I don't like to do that, but I, I couldn't help it. It was too easy. The spin was is like, no, McConaughey the whole time was the little brother who did believe everything. <laughs> Not the, and then like you know, long story short, he kills the sheriff because the sheriff's name was on his list of demons. And and it turns out when he touches people, he really can see their secrets and really does see their past sins. And Bill Paxton, the crazy father who was who's been dead now for years, wasn't apparently crazy. He really did have powers from God. And so they were right to do this to murder all these people because they really were demons. And that to me, like, <laughs> I think that kind of legacy of like of these kind of movies where the, the Christian story is indeed the real world. It, that Those are like, I think what kind of confused all of us about true detective season one. Uh, <laughs> like when we were all like, is it, wait, is there magic or not? We were all expecting there to be like the magic's real. Yeah. And I think the movies like fucking frailty that like, <laughs> where it's like that always a twist was, Oh, the killer was right all along. He wasn't crazy. God was talking to him. <laughs> And then, like, what was so great about your detective was that, no, it was just pedophiles in the woods. <laughs> yeah, they made a creepy, like, skeleton statue with, like, yellow sheets on it. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was just real world shit. <laughs> I love to think that each and every one of these segments that you and I have done on this show is just the long con for you talking people into seeing True Detective Season 1. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I think it's a, it's a sleeper hit no one's heard about. And I think it's, you know, an uncommon opinion is that, that the first season was the best. <laughs> I'm trying to get... I'm trying to like get this resurgence for for one of the leads. I, I, I'm calling it a McConaissance. I want people to see that McConaughey is actually has more to offer than people thought in 2000 in 2012. <laughs> all right, all right. I, I will I will try not to bring it up again next time. It's if you. You might – I'm sure I've done this just in conversation with you. <laughs> in like – you know, in a real conversation, not like one of these fake fucking phone calls. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> okay. All right. All right. I think we're good on that one. All right. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, 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 thanks for being on Man, the show. Man, fuck your podcast. <laughs> 
All right. Thanks for being on the show, Alex. As always, it's uh, I appreciate it. I'm happy that I answered the fucking phone. Okay? Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Love you, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Bye.